Hello and welcome back. This is episode number 55 with Drew Townley from Kairos Esports. If you want to check out the show notes to anything that we talk about after this, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash five five. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Drew, it's early morning for you, mate. Late afternoon for me. Thanks so much for coming along today. No problem, mate. No, it's, it's fine. I'm only up at this time anyway, so don't, don't sweat it. Early riser? Un- unlikely, um, I guess, for the cliche of, of an esports person? <laughs> well, it's, it's the only time I get to go to the gym because um, uh, it's an evening. There's, there's more work to be done. That's like at 6 p.m. That's when my day starts, and I can start actually doing what I'm meant to do for the previous mm. work day. So yeah, no, no problem at all, mate. I appreciate having me on. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty funny to see that. Hey, like, um, one of my favorite events is the Intel Extreme Masters Sydney, and the doors don't even open until lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. CWL London had a very similar policy. I think there was a, there was our winners final match was on was on at like 11, 11 a.m. and and everyone was like baffled. Like, I, I, what time? Yeah, wow. Nine thirty. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, huh? The fighting games community is, is very much like this as well. You know, they often start their monthly ranking battle events for Couch Warriors around 11 and 12 and go off, you know, until 9, 10 p.m. at night and they go clubbing yeah. afterwards. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, the casino was uh, was a very busy place after London. It was it was a good time for sure. People were very keen because a lot of the, the NA pros come over. They, they don't get access to the casino. So um, uh, being in Stratford with uh, the, the Copper Box and then Aspers is, uh, yeah, you can find that if, if you're looking for any to, to meet any pros, that's the place to go. Fantastic. Well, mate, before we get into it, because I've got a lot of interesting stuff to talk to you about that includes yeah. dating simulators and the like, sure. Um, sure. but can you just, just let those people listening uh, know a little bit about your relevant history in, in business and esports so today? Yep. yep. So personally, um, I played competitive Call of Duty, um, but Modern Warfare 2 onwards, um, eventually got to the point where I wasn't making money um, and I didn't think that I was going to or not where I wanted to be. Went into a little bit of management, social, things like that, kind of like dabbled um, and then went away and did something not in esports. I ran a, an e-commerce company that sold building materials, which as lovely as it sounds and as lovely as I thought it was going to be, um, I wanted to go back into esports um, and got involved with um, LP, Lightning Pandas, which coincidentally was under the Kairos group mm-hmm. um, at the time. Um, and then I came over to the Kairos Media side, which is an influencer marketing agency. Was with Mike and Chris there, the two co-founders of the company, for maybe, I don't even know, four or five months. And we had a conversation about starting an esports business. That's where my love was. That's where my knowledge was. And, you know, I guess a year and a half later, here we are. Um, and so... From my side, it's very much strategy-based rather than just um, influence marketing as Kairos Media is. We do focus gaming and esports, but um, it's more holistic rather than just specifically one marketing strategy. Yeah, and I guess one one thing I want to kick it off with, I've talked about this so much across um, my social media and podcasts, is about companies yeah. will very often come to me wanting esports, but it really turns yeah. out they want Gen Z and millennials, and the best way to get yeah. to them is probably through gaming, not so much the hardcore. Are you finding that too in the UK? Absolutely. It's actually slightly frustrating. And we debated changing the name of the company um, from Kairos Esports because um, I think it sends the wrong message to exactly those kind of people you're talking to. Mm. You know, for us, KFC is is a gaming project. It's not an esports project. Mm. Um, it has an esports element, but, you know, you are pigeonholing yourself if you're just trying to target an esports audience a lot of the time. Um, you know, it, may, it does have a more mature audience. And I think sometimes that's extremely important from a KPI perspective for clients. But I think for the most part... Um, we run gaming campaigns, right? Because you don't want to lose out on that, you know, eighty percent uh, of rest of rest of the industry. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Like, let, let's call it Kairos Gaming Esports for, for the for the for the rest of the show. Yeah, mate. And look, I've I've gone through exactly the, the same things here too, and I find it really interesting yeah. when talking to people. Sometimes you have to say esports because that's the word they expect, and that's the buzzword that definitely. brings them in the door. But you okay. know, I've got so many. So many different things, you know, here as well with companies like Make It Mine, who's a you know online rent to own service. Same thing, you know, they came to us saying, "Hey, you think 
we think we want to sponsor a team to do a digital marketing campaign and you know they're working with an influencer right now on a long term and you know that just happens so often there's a an event called schoolies that happens here in australia that'll probably be announced um by the time this comes out same thing you know it's where people go after they finish school to um go and party for a week on the gold coast at the beach and you know same thing they came to us saying hey we want esports and we said look esports is quite in depth uh it takes a lot you know it's a lot of training um there's a lot of professionalism and also the the budgets have to be very different, you know, to go with that. If you want to run an esports event, you're talking about flying in professionals and commentators and putting up a prize pool and having a certain competitive yep. environment where gaming can be anything from, you know, a 5,000 USD project where an influencer's just talking about your product on a few hours of stream to, you know, as, as big as you want. But it's easier to scale that up and down, I think, and, and not as limited in both um, scope as well as viewership like esports may be. Definitely. I think, like, the, the expectation now for the level of quality for an esports event, let's call it, is now so much higher than um, it was a couple of years ago where you could just stick a couple of casters on some makeshift desk and they could talk mm. about the game they're watching. Now there's such a higher benchmark for what execution needs to look like. Um, I think like recently running um, some Ubisoft esports streams, it's just like <clears throat> what we were creating from a production standpoint was honestly tenfold what we would have created i know a year ago and i think that's you know that's, that's good for me to see obviously but it's also a case of ultimately budgets having to be significantly higher and having to ask clients for more because otherwise you're not going to get the pickup that you need yeah exactly right and it's an interesting thing when um you know small community events or events with amateurs they often ask me you know what's the best way that we should um broadcast our our um, game out there and i think a lot of the time that's where a lot of the sink of the cost comes into like you identified right and for some of these i say look you're better off not having a broadcast at all than having one because a you know who's going to watch 17 year olds from you know an an outer ring um place who are you know amateur or or mid-level at best compete probably no one and also you're likely to get some bad pr if your you know stream doesn't look very professional so a lot of the time and this is the same thinking with schoolies is you know who's going to watch 17 year olds who are kind of okay at Fortnite play we're probably better off and better for the budget to pump that money into prize pool and to get the cost and make the event a bit more leaner and put some better things live than broadcasting that online 100%. 100%. My, my first question a lot of the time is when, when they talk about wanting to broadcast, and, and it's very similar to um, conversations where they go, we want it on Twitch, we want to get top five on Twitch, because I think Twitch has become a bit of almost like a PR b- box to tick at this point, mm-hmm. um, because it's so much mainstream pickup, which is great. Um, you know, We work very closely with Twitch, it's fantastic. But um, I think my first question is normally, like, how are we going to amplify this? Like, If you don't have the capacity you know, in-house, or you don't have the budget um, to put behind some metric or, or some form of promotion that's going to amplify this to make sure the CCU does, you don't jo- like jump into the stream and there's 20 people watching it, which again, is only going to negatively impact the brand or the activation itself. Um, then it's not worth doing it because it, it's just going to, it's just going to make the project look worse rather than better. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, I guess for, for the people on Twitter, we're definitely not saying that there's no point in getting involved in esports. I mean, both of our company names do have the word esports in them, but course, yeah, I think it's, I'm coming more and more to the fact of, you know, being realistic that there's a time and a place for esports and it's not always the best for every brand. The same way that not every brand would want to work with Liverpool or would want to sponsor a professional hockey player. Sometimes it's great, especially if you're a peripheral company in esports because you want that power of influence of this person saying, hey, the Corsair K70 keyboard is the best and I can say that because I'm the best player in the world at Counter-Strike and this is what I use as my tool. But Often, if you're just creating a consumer product, you know, say you're selling bobbleheads, you're probably better off just going with some influencers who can convert on a digital campaign rather than sponsoring, you know, the New York Yankees of esports like Team Liquid or someone. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I think like, everything's scalable, right? And it, and it's it's normally a frustrating conversation because um, it's hard to kind of give direct examples of, of what investment and return on investment will look like, right? Mm. Um, however everything's scalable right size of influencers you know size of activation are we streaming it how many pros are we using where are we flying them from etc all of these all these variables that ultimately um contribute to you know a budget breakdown they're all scalable and i think that's why that's why for me esports and gaming both are such an attractive proposition right now because you can like the buy-in is so much lower than traditional sports and you can Mm. see the return that can rival the likes of traditional sports and that barrier to entry of significant you know seven eight figure sponsorship deals um in soccer or, or or wherever it is um this we are the alternative and we can kind of give 
an impact to the brand from a brand sentiment or, or how a brand seen in a modern brand capacity, which is again a, something that brands come to us a lot about, which is how do we modernize ourselves? You know, how do we resonate with a younger audience? Yeah, this is how you do it. And you do it for a fraction of the price that you pay, you know, a soccer team for. And how, how do you find the data and reporting in that section? I had a, I had a great off-air chat with um, Jeff Pabst, who's the Chief Revenue Officer for FaZe, who will be coming on the podcast yep. in a couple of weeks, which should be a good mm. chat from from his side. But a lot of the issues that he identified, or even Gfinity in Australia that shut down, um, identified yep. the lack of data in the space and said that, you know, getting data out of the publishers like Riot and, and Blizzard and getting data out of Twitch is very hard for them. And even, mm-hmm. you know, Faze saying that the, they have a hard time even as Faze saying, hey, if you sponsor our pro CSGO team, we'll provide you with X amount or X percentage of uplift. Whereas his experience with traditional sports is that they can say that, you know, you, you sponsor our NFL team, we'll provide you with 8% uplift over the next 12 months, et cetera. Interesting. Um, it's actually something that we, we haven't struggled with too much. And I guess I'm trying to think now why. I think from my side, it's mainly due to case studies. Um, mm. you know, we can now, I think with, without the, the experience of running campaigns, um, at the long or short form for brands that have never entered the space, I guess you're, you're going to struggle to, to put numbers to it because we, but we do, um, like basically national studies, um, if it's a national, um, if it's a brand that's focused on a specific region or international, um, if it's a little bit bigger, but we'll do studies that essentially measure all those things that you just mentioned, you know, brand uplift, brand sentiment, um, how the certain KPIs and pain points for the brand are measured. And I think now we can take that and we have several forms of these that we can kind of apply. Again, it's not an exact science, of course, um, because you don't know how one, one brand is going to affect you know, the, the view of, of a certain member of the public. But um, within, especially within the gaming space, it, it is quite easy to run um, these kind of surveys, you know, across the likes of accessing Discord channels and accessing, doing it across socials and things like that, um, do give us quite a good insight into what we what they can expect to see. And then that's kind of backed up by the data that I'm sure, you know, everyone else can use, which is, you know, we use tra- trackable links. We can make sure that we know exact reach, but then also engagement, which is a far more, me- a far more important metric through to, you know, mm. click through rate acquisition, et cetera. These kind of, again, we are up against the, the, you know, the mainstream industries that have, have, have benefited so far, the out of home staff, you know, like the kind of traditional media buyers mm-hmm. where here, we can track everything. And that, that in my eyes, from a gaming esports perspective, from a digital perspective, is, is our USP. Is I can give them a direct return on investment breakdown, which I don't think if they went and bought, you know, in, the, in London, you can buy space on the underground, right? Like the Metro. Mm. Uh, you know, it, like, how are they going to tell you know, the client how, much, how many people that, that have benefited from it? What, a couple of, a couple of million eyeballs? Like it means nothing to them, right? Mm. But we can give direct breakdown of engagement and ultimately click-through rate acquisition sale and i think that's really like a really powerful metric and that's ultimately those two things together is how we present it to clients after a campaign yeah i think you bang on the money and, and it goes um and i'm trying to reach inside my brain to remember what podcast this was about and i think it was a previous podcast with brett sullivan or maybe with with pete Carelli that was talking about the power of um yeah. you know using these previous campaigns and using case studies and such and that's something that's benefited yep. us um, you know, so much over over a longer period of time is being able to pull case studies not only from ourselves but from our friends and from our clients and partners, um, sure. and you know, understanding that brand uplift that could be involved, and that's why I think, you know, I guess it's the major advantage because there's no the disadvantage for you and I as you know, kind of company leaders and owners is that uh, we're not going to be making lots of money in the grey, but the advantage is that we can sleep well at night and can actually prove, you know, to these brands what we're providing to them. Because this is what I find, yeah. I guess, a lot in that traditional sports and media, like you were talking about as well, is there's so much mm-hmm. money in the grey where, you know, they're saying, hey, you're on my football jersey and the average person sees your logo 57 times, um, times yeah. by a million viewers. And I'm just going to say, hey, look, each time they see your logo, that's worth three pounds. So, you know, here's yeah. the check and, and off you go. But without, yeah. without being able to prove... Some numbers, like an influencer case study I can pull off the top of my head. You know, an influencer who had about 5 million YouTube subscribers released a product at twenty nine ninety nine USD with free global shipping. Off the back of a few tweets and a video, he sold 15,000 in 20 hours, which is about 500K yeah. or just under USD worth of product. So that alone, you mm-hmm. know, can show you something yeah. directly. I think I, know, I think I know the product you're talking about. Ah, <laughs> there you go. I won't mention it, but uh, yeah, I think I just got an offer for a very similar amount. It's good to know that you're getting such a good pickup. I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think for, for me, that's um, without doubt, 
something that I try to kind of almost steer the conversation to a lot of the time because we are in a position where we do have to justify justify ourselves as an industry, in my opinion. You know, we do have to prove ourselves above what our delivery level is. You know, like we, we, we are still young. You know, we still need to prove ourselves. And then when you do that test campaign and they see the results, then it's, it's plain sailing for us because then they see it, they see the power, they get it. And they're like, okay, cool, right? Now we're going to scale up. Now we get that we can put more marketing budget. We can take it from, you know, traditional inventory space buy or like media buy into what is this space? And we've, mm. you know, and then from there, it's a much easier conversation. Yeah, for sure. So this leads me into, you know, a great discussion topic for you is bringing KFC into esports. So what, what I wanted sure. to start off with is, you know, there's so many people that listen to this podcast that are, I guess, fighting the good esports fight, right? They're trying to be evangelists. Yep. They're trying to work with any companies they can to just educate them a bit on the market. Where do you start? Yep. If a company comes to you and says, hey, Hey Drew, yeah. we've got some interest in esports. We've got some interest in millennials. What do you, what do you start the conversation with? Definitely, yeah. So the conversation really originally started with KFC um, as they had three um, areas that they were looking into exploring and ultimately like putting putting market marketing budget into. So one of them was gaming, of course. One of them was sports, and one of them was music. So what they did was um, there were several agencies that were brought in for the relevant area. Um, we were chosen for the gaming side of things, gaming esports side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, we originally sat down with KFC and they said, we want esports. Um, and in about four seconds, I think we had, just, we had worked out that actually they wanted gaming. They wanted a more casual gamer. They want to resonate with the everyday gamer, right? Rather than the guys that are, you know, grinding league for 16 hours a day and trying to go to a world, for example. Mm. Um, and for us... That was a really, really good education piece. Um, and essentially, w- from there, we put together what was a very extensive um, multi-year plan um, as an overview, but then also a year one plan that kind of broke down very to a very, very granular level exactly what we envisioned for them. And it was a, it was a three-tiered structure. So um, tier one was social strategy. So that was creating bespoke custom content, talking from a KFC gaming or KFC perspective um, every day, right? And, and talking to the community like we are a member of the community. And that's something that I swear by now uh, because of the success we've had with the project that needs to be done um, for the most part. So tier one, uh, social. Tier two was influencers. So a year-long influencer strategy that was used to amplify that content, right? So we weren't just talking to the community. We were also talking to the community, but their favorite influencer was also talking about it. Um, and that, again, mm-hmm. that's how we were getting the name out. That was, that's how we were growing the brand in various different communities. And we're still doing that to this day. Um, the third tip was eSport uh, activations. Now, I use the word eSports here. Uh, it is essentially was putting, putting activations in a competitive format, right? So, again, we're not running um tournaments for the best cs pros in the world or you know the best call of duty players in the world we're running community-led activations that are ultimately always adding value and giving opportunities to the community that they wouldn't have had before and that's honestly our mantra as a whole i think with the project which is we need to be providing the community with something we want them to look at us and be like we are you know we are using our budget to make their lives better you know in a really really simple sense um mm. in, in the gaming world so yeah we put that together um you know and bear in mind this was a seven to nine month process so you know i've condensed it a fair bit um but it got to the point where i think it actually funny story about this i haven't spoken about too much but originally the conversation started and we recommended Fortnite before it before it had taken off um we saw it um i had kind of watched some very very early streamers play it i was like this game's you know this game's really really good and we recommended doing a tournament on it uh, in in their year one plans mm. they blanked us for a bit um you know didn't seem it very interested and then Fortnite did what Fortnite did and you know took off seriously mm. and they kind of went oh these guys know what they're talking about i think um and essentially got back in touch not just cold rang us up but uh, the conversations kind of picked up some some traction again and i guess lo and behold seven seven months later whatever it was we 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 signed off and, and kicked off the projects um but yeah that's that's super top level so if there's anything i haven't explained in depth there, then please do ask yeah, and I guess, you know, expanding from KFC to everything else, I'd love to get some of your words of wisdom about spending time trading water with brands. 
So this this yep. has happened, you know, to us here at Big and and to a lot of my friends in the past who've you know contacted a brand that's shown some weak interest in esports, and the yep. the agency who's new to the market will spend a lot of their time and and capital yep. treading water, trying to get them excited, trying to get them interested, and the brand mm-hmm. will often require you to do all of the work up front without being paid, and then make the decision at the end as to whether you want to go ahead or not. How do you fight that as as a CEO of a of a growing company? Definitely. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great question. Um, and it's something that I think with esports is worse than any other industry right now because there's mm. so many brands that are looking at what the opportunities are without any any real idea about budgets, without any direct idea of timescale and investment, etc. Um, you know, from a resource perspective. So it, the sad answer is you're going to have to get used to it to, to some to some degree. However, I think there's there's definitely something to be said for like where the cutoff point is for what you're providing. And again, for for different agencies, I'm sure I'm sure it's different amounts. Um, for us, like we put together proposals, you know, for what is essentially no fee um, on a fairly regular basis. Um, but that's obviously also the discretion of if we feel like there's value um, in adding that. I think mm. um, and a, kind of a, a middle ground uh, is we have an, e- an eSports inside Insights deck. So just breaks down the, the, those classic numbers that you and I see on a daily basis, you know, about the size of the industry and the kind of viewership and the growth, etc. Mm. Um, what it does is paint quite a clear picture, you know, for people that don't really understand it um, about what the opportunity is. And normally that's kind of stage 0.5, if you will, um, prior to um, a proposal sending or, or a full in-person meeting is we can send that and they can kind of very quickly get an idea of if it's something they want to explore more. I'm not going to sit here and say it means that every time you send a proposal over, they're going to be interested. Mm. Trust me, they're not. But, um, I think it can vet um, interest for, from, from client side a lot. And ultimately, it's, it's down to to us or you know, you know, one as an agency to decide and to, 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 to maybe not be biased in a sense even if it's a big brand you need to be realistic and just be like look they might not be at the stage to sign this off just yet um i will say lead times with with esport accounts for the most part for us is comfortably over six months so that's another thing to consider you know it's not good from a revenue perspective from a growth perspective you, you need to have that infrastructure in place mm. otherwise you're, you're going to really struggle, and, and it, it's for the most part, it's not good news. Um, what I would say is, you know, go, go and go and try to get FaceTime with these brands. Go and meet them. Go and educate them. Go and do something. When you say do something for free, absolutely yes, that's probably on the cards. But you know, if it's it's if it's half a day out of your time to go and meet them and like educate them in person, uh, the results of that for us are significantly better. So I would always advise on trying to get in front of them. But I also know that's tough. So um, mm. it it is. The sad news is um, there's no real solution here and you are going to have to do a fair amount of work for free. Yeah, and and that's why you raise raise capital, right? So you can, Mm -hmm. you know, have the time to develop these things and, you know, I guess why you use your smarts as a founder or, you know, director of a business is, yeah, figuring out exactly what leads you want to pursue. But it's definitely the realism in the market is that, you know, the, the pace of these deals and the, and the time to get them across the line is long and, Everybody mm. is saying that, you know, it's not just me and it's not just yep. you, you know, even yep. our podcast with uh, co-founder of Fnatic, you know, one of the oldest brands in, in all of esports and Matthew is saying the yep. same thing, you know, it's taking them yep. a lot longer and a lot more convincing yep. to get brands into esports than they would have ever, you know, thought would, would to happen. But, you know, they're Definitely. starting to drip feed into the market and, and usually when you see one, then you see a flood and I guess the obvious thing for that is is automotive right we saw bmw and mercedes yes. kind of at the same time and then bam after that you've got audi you've got honda you've got bmw yep. you've got yep. toyota and yep. you know there's um discussion on the horizon i believe that another japanese auto manufacturer is about to come into the market as well so yeah there's you know so much that happens it's kind of come one come all so you know now we've got kfc hopefully we see a cheeky nando soon and you know Maccas has already been in the market for a while so yeah we'll yeah. wait for the rest no, to come def- in it's actually it's actually um, really interesting because uh, I spoke about this on um, the, the panel at ESI this week, which was um, it's not a coincidence at all in my book that as soon as we made a move as KFC into the market, that um, Burger King and, and McDonald's both um, made significant plays that they hadn't really made before mm. in the gaming space. Right? I think McDonald's play with um, Big Bang Theory at, at, with their Gamescom booth was a massive deal, you know, for us, obviously from a competitor analysis point of view, but, um, also 
from a from a brand that size to make that kind of investment, which you know, Gamescom boosts for the size they are, are not cheap, um, was 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 a massive deal. Um, and I think the work that Burger King have done, like they've kind of they 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 they, they jumped in and out. You know, they, they seem to have tested the waters. And again, that's very 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 common right now with brands, which is that they're doing test campaigns. And a lot of the time, worryingly from my side, they're not seeming to come back. And as much as like you know, if it's for a different agency or it's not through us, whatever it is, my worst nightmare is brands doing a campaign in gaming and esports and it not getting the results they want mm. and then never coming back and that, that tainting their opinion of the industry for you know years to come or forever right and and that 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 does concern me mm. um so not that i want to do everything on our side but we need to make sure that we don't do things badly so we don't lose the likes of you know like these these top top level qsr restaurants or all the fast food guys where they have significant budgets and we don't want to waste that. Mm, exactly right. And it's something I've discussed uh, on the podcast with a few and off podcast as well about, you know, a lot of these brands are in their first uh, their first period of signing now, right? And we're going to see in 2020, are yep. they going to start re-signing? Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, um, we, we, yeah we're, we're going to see a lot um, of, I think, well, I'm, I'm trying to be candid here because I'm just trying to think of some specific examples and I can't mention names, but there's also definitely some that have done test campaigns and have left it nine or 10 months. They're actually going to really kick off, um, you know, significant investment into the space from like year, a year long campaign perspective, whether it be the likes of Twitch um, on a more regular program basis, like media buys or, you know, social content, sponsorship, whatever it may be. Um, there's, it's exciting times and there is some like humongous brands coming in. You mentioned, um, you know, a couple of further car manufacturers that will definitely be coming in. Mm. Like, that's super exciting. You, you, we need the, those first movers in every industry and then we're going to, we're going to lose track of, of how many people come in. It's going to be chaos, you know, to be honest, because, um, you just do need that first brand to come in. Betting, betting and gambling is another great example in this country where, um, obviously Betway made the moves they did. And now, you know, I can't, I can't count on two hands the amount of brands from a betting perspective that are looking to get into esports and take advantage. You know, ultimately mm. they offer markets on their websites. Why would they not take advantage of the audience? Um, and they have obviously budgets most of the time to match because um, they know they need to compete and they know they need to stay relevant. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So changing pace a little bit, but staying on the same topic mm. at KFC, tell us about the KFC mm. dating simulator. Um, yeah. So, I don't know where to start with that. Um, <laughs> Not something that I thought I would discuss on, on this podcast or post on LinkedIn, but hey, here we are. Hey, yeah, the, the opportunity just kind of arose. Um, and it was a conversation that was going on uh, with KFC US. And they were they honestly weren't looking at it from a particularly gaming angle originally, which is strange to say. But, um, you know, right. it, was, it was definitely something separate. They had um, basically an entirely separate launch and marketing strategy for it. Um, however... Um, it actually got leaked. So when it when we went live with it, it had actually been leaked and it kind of messed up their plans a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we kind of took ownership of it um, to really try to get it to a place we were. So we obviously went live with it and then we got it to like quite a few um, outlets, it's right, media outlets, things like that, that started talking about it. And I guess from there, it just kind of got a lot of pickup, which I guess from our side, we definitely knew it would, but maybe to the extent it had... And the positivity around it, if that's fair, like not that I thought it was going to be a negative pickup, but mm. um, especially from a brand perspective, developing games is a very, very gray area as far as like people thinking that it's it's very corporate. You know, it's a kind of a classic, a classic move from a brand. But because it was so like meta, uh, and and like even the screenshots people are seeing, like people are uh, are seeing um, like shout outs to like old animes and things like that. And mm. I think there's a lot to be said for those small parts of it but yeah i mean overall it went very well um we're definitely gonna do some more around the launch of the game specifically with some influencers uh 100 like, again the reason that we were involved and we knew it was so it was going to do so well is because it lends itself so well to content right yes it's going to do well on social but you couldn't make a game like the amount of influencers that we had hitting us up organically being our like whether it's through kairos because you know the influencers know us through the, our brand deals mm. or from the KFC specifically, they they had no idea, but they were like, well, honestly, just give me a Steam kit. I'll play this for free, right? On stream. Like, it's just, it's a <laughs> no brainer. Uh, and like, I think a combination of those kind of two things with the virality of it, but also how well it lends, it will lend itself to content. Um, 
it was a no-brainer for us to pick up. And yeah, it's it's cool. I, I, we now have it on our CV, uh, which is interesting. But the, the, the yeah, yeah, no, it, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic, mate. And I guess you know, keeping the same line of topic with with KFC, why why align yourself with Call of Duty so closely when there's you know other yeah. other hit games that are maybe even more brand friendly, like Fortnite or especially Rocket League. Yep, for sure. It's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so we actually run Activision's uh, influencer strategy. Um, so what that means is that we have a very, very um, good relationship with those guys. We work very closely. We have a dedicated accounts team in the office that, that deals with them on a daily basis. Um, and so we can. It's one of the, it's one of the, the the relationships that we can leverage. You know, very very quickly. Um, it also aligned itself. Like we have the we have we have basically these publisher relationships with every publisher. However, Call of Duty and especially the kind of mm. target market that um, KFC were trying to hit from a casual sense for us, especially also from a UK sense, um, because this like this the tournament was UK focused. Um, we wanted to make sure that it had a, it was a game with enough UK demographic and the influencers themselves. You know, we use sixteen and sixteen of the biggest guys is hard to find uh, basically in any in any country. That's maybe not US, um, you know, of, of, that will play one game. Um, it's easy to find 16, but 16 will all play one title. I think it's easier said than done. So, um, these, all these factors kind of contributed to the, to where we opened the conversation. Uh, Activision was super on board. Um, uh, influencers were very easy to, to get in because a lot of them had roots in Call of Duty or, or still played it, of course. Um, and it just made sense from a casual perspective. It was like COD. We looked at FIFA. Um, and I think like from that, console casual angle those two are leaders and i think rocket league from an esports sense far better even from like cod from a social sense is still really big um mm-hmm. esports tbd um of course but um it has a lot of power and the influences involved have a lot of power in the cod the cod community so for us we, we kind of contributed all of those uh, we can facilitate that partnership very easily and yeah turn around something that was you know truly special um it, it, it was kind of a world's first which is cool for us but it also the results of it and the reach it got was amazing. And like both both Activision and KSC were extremely happy to the point that I cannot I can't really explore, I can't really talk about it, but we will be scaling significantly um for year two. And we were looking at something that is not region locked, if that's fair. I don't I think I think I can get away with saying mm-hmm. that. Um but yeah, it's like something super exciting and it, the successes mean that we can we can scale significantly moving forward. Yeah, fantastic, man. That sounds all sounds all pretty positive so far, and it's it's great to see a brand, I guess, um, you know, break down those barriers of of corporatism, right, and get really involved yeah. in the market and do you know like what Dr Pepper's done so well for so long in in the traditional space, but as well as esports and and really understand their market and um, yeah, yeah, pitch content yeah. that people enjoy. KFC, KFC um, in as many words, are, are a dream a dream client to work with. Our points of contact are you know they get it more than any anyone i talk to um from a client side perspective they are you know they're gamers themselves that they understand the need to push the boundaries to to always have content that 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 resonates and i think that freedom is the sole reason you know if there was one why the project has succeeded so quickly um because otherwise you know the way you talk the content you put out if it's limited the growth is going to be limited mm. um and so like, having them on side and super super supportive and like we essentially have free reign you know of course with the relevant approval processes but um i can't remember the last time we, we were told no to be honest it honestly i don't know it must have been 10 months ago um and i think that's that's the case of us understanding where the line sits but also trust me we push that line um as much as possible and we rarely rarely get a negative response so yeah all, all credit to to KFC themselves for kind of being hands off and letting us do what we do. Cause I think that's super important, um, you know, within this space is you have, to, there has to be a level of trust. And I think that's another thing that brands struggle with, which is they do to some extent have to be pretty hands off. And it's something that I assume a lot of the time they don't have to be right. They can be pretty um, involved because you know, they've been across it for several years. Mm. I don't want a marketing manager or a marketing director, you know, Kind of telling us what what content we can put out and how we should talk to you know on social and how we should talk to the community and what activations we we should run or influences we should use like those things are going to negatively impact the success of the campaign almost every time because they're not our target demographic right our mm. target demographic are people that should be doing that and luckily I have a team you know in house that 
are born and bred gamers that are still they still go home every day and they grind Fortnite or they 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 grind league they're diamond league players or they you know that that they, they grind cs like ranked or esea like it, it, all of these things kind of contribute to why you need to be hands-off but also you know the success of the project overall yeah, fantastic, and I, I guess it um, it shows the rise in these niche in these niche PR agencies, and it shows the relevance of picking the right agency for these brands, and also yeah. trusting them. You know, do or die. Definitely. Oh, without doubt. Um, you and, and it's probably the toughest the toughest part of it all. I think is getting it right because um, a lot of the time it depends on on KPIs, and I think there's, there's definitely going to be some some aspects that are focused on you know very content heavy, right? Very like you know tone of voice. Mm. Uh, and kind of what that looks like but also um a lot of like asian clients for example they want um extreme pr pickup right that that's their mm. main kpi they want a pr standard to get incredible pickup and i think those two are honestly different sizes of spectrum i think you know for you and you guys i think that the latter you lend you know it lends itself very well to you where um if it's more like you know having a, a, a full content team in-house that will produce social content it will lend itself to something slightly different um mm. and it's just a case of you know working out what what makes the client happy and what's going to help sell it internally. Yeah, so I mean, as the as the CEO of, of this emerging company, and with esports and gaming, there are so many different things you can do. How do you decide as a business leader what to focus on? It's a very very good question. Um, so for us, um, we'll have kind of an underlying strategy as far as like outreach and the brands that we think are good fits for our offering. Um, however, we're also quite dynamic in the sense that we will have a very close eye on the industry. And, you know, you mentioned the automotive industry earlier. I think that's a great example of where, mm. you know, you see a couple of people jumping into it. I, you can be sure that our outreach and our focus is going to instantly change to other brands that haven't got in that are clearly going to be looking at getting in. Um, and I think that's something that you've seen a fair amount of success with because, Again, like like we like we touched on earlier, as soon as as soon as a com- like a competitor gets involved, everyone's ears prick up, right? And they're like, okay, well, we 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 need to look. What we need to do something. What are they doing? You know, we we can't lose that market share, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But until that point, they're relatively uninterested. Um, you know, to be blunt, I, I think there's a a severe limitation in um, in interest when no one's involved. They're just like, ah, it's fine. If, you, if no one else sees value in it, we don't either. Um, so I think for us, that's something that we focus on. It's also a case of um, like our direction is now very focused on what we're good at. And what I mean by that is at the start of the project, I wouldn't say uh, at the start of the company, let's say, you know, a year, a year, 14 months ago, I wouldn't say social strategy was something that we were particularly championing. However, now, because of KFC and the work we've done with Vodafone on their socials in the past, we are now at the point where I think it's one of the best things we do. And in that sense, um, I want to tailor our conversation to the point that this is something we can do for you now. And these are, these are examples of the content and the performance of it. Mm. Um, same way with, like, with the tournaments and the influencer work and combining influencers and, e- and, e- and esport um, structure, because we have... you know. Obviously, I'm biased, but in my opinion, one of the one of the best case studies ever in the world. And I know that a couple of stakeholders in that use it as a as a best in class example of, of what what you can do. Um, for, for me, that's something that I want to drill home. Right? I want to I want brands to see this side of the business because we do have a quite a few things in quite a lot of pies, and I think that that's lovely. But I also think that it's kind of a it's kind of a downfall at times, right? Which is people get a bit um, bogged down with how how many things we can offer, and in reality, you need to kind mm. of um, streamline your offering, in which case, you know, the two things I just mentioned are definitely part of that. And then see if that's something that the client themselves want to do. Yeah. And I guess uh, following a, a similar line to some of the things I've asked before about starting a conversation with brands, often, you know, a brand will come to you and say, hey, I want to get into the space. There are so many different opportunities available. Often we've had the same experience where a brand knows what they don't want, but not at all what they yep. do want. What are what yep. are some tips and tricks, I guess, for, for you to share with, with others out there? And what sort of questions to ask them to get them closer to that aspect? Because, you know, as, as we all know, they could do anything from a social media campaign to sponsoring an influencer for 12 months to working with an esports team and a once-off appearance. Yep, definitely. Um, my first and honestly main question is, is what, what do they want out of it? Um, because if it's an awareness play, then you instantly can kind of knock out um, you know, several offerings, but also double down on the offerings that will give you that, right? Yeah. And if it's um, like I think like 
sponsorship from a from a reach from an awareness perspective is always going to be super strong obviously depending on size um content social is going to be you know very very high on that list absolutely Mm. um however they also may turn around and say it's acquisition right um and in that sense i think you know influencer work um and some very integrated solutions maybe around a sponsorship so you know utilizing their players as influencers essentially um can also work and lend itself quite well and then sales right i think like acquisition i'm talking from you know acquiring users but sales as far as like driving product sales um i don't think any of the above um you know really work i think you have to go down the influencer route um i think you have to go down um you know creating very very engaging content um on an influencer level because personally and from what we've done and what we've seen driving sales through esports um works but the results are better when you use influencers um again they can be in a in an esport you know capacity let's call it mm-hmm. um but that's more around like their personal streams you know their, their their schedule rather than sponsoring a team and having an official partner and hoping that we get sales off it not something that i, I think is going to get the same kind of results yeah, and it's, and it's always hard when in this, this happened to me in a meeting just before this podcast with a potential new brand to enter the space, asking for a budget appetite, and then often the brands will say, I don't know how much I want to spend. <laughs> and that's always a really hard place yeah, to start, right? It really is. Because sometimes yeah, it's my- like, you know, you w- imagine someone walking into a car dealership and they're like, hey, I want a car. And they're like, all right, how much are you looking at? Like, do you want a Toyota or do you want a Lamborghini? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll decide yeah. later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's honestly the most frustrating thing, Chris, that we ever deal with. Um, and I think, the, I think my normal answer is, look, I just want to, I want to get our proposal and ideas as close to the market as possible for mm. you. And I don't want to come to you with a million dollar proposal when you actually wanted to spend, you know, fifty k. Mm. Um, and then we wasted our time, we wasted your time. Uh, and I think it's very much a case of trying to get across that we're just trying to get it as close to the market as possible for them to look like they're heroes internally, you know, and they've come up with a perfect plan, but also not to waste their time. Um, and yeah, it, it, I, it's an ongoing issue. If that, if that line of questioning doesn't work, then normally I just give up and we'll say, okay, we're just going to do, we'll do a tiered, a tiered structure and like, you know, some kind of differencing between differences between, you know, tier one, two, and three and the investment you get and the, mm. the ROI of that. But yeah. It's like, again, it's, it's to, to your point about them not knowing what they want they have no idea really about how much it's going to cost. Mm. And you should see it as an opportunity, definitely, because again, we can benchmark ourselves against the conversations that we know they're going to have, you know, with other traditional media outlets and media agencies or, um, you know, out of home advertising, whatever it may be. We can benchmark ourselves against that and ultimately, hopefully prove more worth or, or show at least that we can provide more worth if they were going to put budget with us. Yeah, and, and it goes back to our discussion before about um, influencers, right? Because it, it's easy to sliding scale those. It's easy to work with an influencer that has a million Twitter followers yep. to do one three-hour stream and two tweets and then, hey, if we double the budget, well, let's do two three-hour streams and four yep. tweets, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And that's, again, th- through – because – our, our sister, sister agency, Karas Media, is an influencer marketing agency. Um, we can tap into that resource um, yeah, on a daily basis. And we do, uh, whether it be on a campaign level. So, you know, that's something that maybe lasts a month or maybe lasts two weeks or, or a more retained client that, you know, is a year to year contract. For us, it's just the case of working out what, what the client needs and what they have. Um, and I think a lot of the time the answer is, you know, and it doesn't have, to, when I say influencers, you know, I, I'm, I'm throwing professional players into that from an esport background. Like, you know, it doesn't mm. have to be guys that are making um, sport content because, oh, you know, yeah. car media on their side will, you know, do every vertical, whether it be sport, um, fashion, lifestyle, makeup, beauty, whatever it is, um, but also gaming. We, because we just focus on gaming esports, we can activate um, the pro players in the relevant scene. And we do. And I think, that's a really, really powerful tool to either amplify campaigns, as I mentioned earlier, or just to run a campaign and to build up that, whether it be an ambassador program or a one-off test stream to see what we're doing. Um, it's something that we've seen a lot of success with. Yeah. So changing changing topics slightly, and I want to talk about your panel at ESI that we talked a bit about um, off recording. Yeah. And 
for those listening at home, this is um, we're discussing the difference between starting a new sub brand or going into the market with a global brand, and especially in regards to Kairos. You know, you've, you've already mentioned a few times here that there are, you know, esports as a new entity. You've already got an influencer arm and, and other agency arms that are attached to it, and it's something yep. that I've seen here as well with a with a um, potential client of ours that you know is very well known in the traditional sports and event space that came to us and said, "Hey, look, we're interested in making a play into esports, but we don't want to say the company name is X. We don't." want to call ourselves X Esports. We want to make a brand new brand to enter into the space with that. Can you give us a bit a bit of a rundown as to what you talked about on the panel and, and uh, your thoughts on that? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So the, the question, it was, it was a question from the audience and it was around uh, whether if you're starting, um, you know, an Esports push program with a brand, let's say, um, let's say Vodafone, right, for example, um, mm. do you talk from, you know, are you talking to the audience from the main account, let's say across social, or are you talking about, you know, from a branding perspective, you know, utilizing their logo um, and all of that lovely stuff, or are you starting um, an entirely new brand as such, mm. right? Or a sub brand, but essentially, you know, Vodafone gaming or KFC gaming rather than KFC with, with different branding, different color scheme, different everything. Um, and I think like, my answer, in my opinion, is very, very clear in the sense that I think you need the freedom to, um, to talk to them how, how talk to the audience, how you want to. And to do that, a new brand gives you that freedom. Um, and I think if you're trying to talk to the audience in a manner and a tone of voice that resonates with, you know, gamers with, 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 with esport fans, um, from, from a Vodafone main account, I don't think you're going to get very good engagement. Um, to be perfectly honest. And it's something we've seen, um, Mercedes, when they talk, Mercedes don't have, or they, they didn't have, sorry, um, their own uh, social channel for, for gaming. And they tried to talk about gaming across their main channel, which I think has like 4 million followers, something extremely high. And the engagement is honestly abysmal. Um, and I think that you're never going to build a, like a specific community. You're never going to build that connection, that brand affinity with the audience unless you have that standalone channel that you can talk to them on a level that they understand, that they respect, that they that they look to to as an almost authority, and that's I think what we built with KFC, which is like we we are part of that conversation. You know, when there's meta changes, when there's updates, when there's mm. um, issues with with servers, whatever it is, we are at the forefront of that conversation from a brand perspective, and, and people respect that. And now we've got to the point where people will white knight us. So what, when I say that, that's um, that's like people jumping in and basically protecting <laughs> us or standing up for us. Um, and I think it's, I think it's amazing that like that from the client perspective, they, they honestly can't really get their head around it because their socials from their main account are extremely negative at times. Um, you know, a lot of complaints, customer issues, et cetera. And then you see, you know, us put, put some content out and someone says, you know, slags us off, maybe silence brands us, whatever it is. Mm. And someone comes in. Um, and says, no, 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 they actually get it. They actually get it. No, they did, they did this or they, they did this for the community or no, trust me, they said this two weeks ago. And I'm like, this is our case study, mm. right? And it, 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 no, like, this is our case study. And I don't think you get that freedom, um, or that opportunity if you stick on a main account. Yeah. And you see that happening in, in two different aspects. Um, one, you know, one in Australia and one globally. One in Australia is the Australian Football League team, um, the Essendon Bombers, that opened up their League of Legends team called Bombers, and they post about them a bit, yeah. and you often see that too. You know, the AFL fans going, A, what the hell's League of Legends? B, yeah. why are you spending money not on the team when you're not number one on the ladder? And C, I don't like this. And you also see that a lot of the time with these traditional news outlets, right, that start posting esports articles on them. And the, the comments can be brutal from the, uh, you know, yeah. from the people yeah. there saying, hey, look, I'd... You know, I follow ESPN for sports. This isn't a real sport, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they don't care about that. And I think a lot of that's justified, right? And and I think a lot of that is why these esports um, kind of panel magazine shows don't often work out as well. Because if you're a League of Legends fan, it's unlikely you want to sit through 30 minutes of discussing the latest news in Overwatch to be able to then get onto, then get on your favorite esports. And it's the yep. same reason why, you know, a lot of a lot of people our age also don't like to watch traditional TV because we don't want to sit through a whole lot of things, including ads that we don't enjoy. We want to get straight to the content that's interesting to us. So we'd rather jump on Twitch or YouTube or Netflix. Definitely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, the kind of, for context, um, like on our socials for, for KFC and, and, the, and for Vodafone, actually, or, I guess the, I think the industry average is 1% to 2% of engagement. Um, and I think a good account will have, you know, 3%. Mm. With, with KFC, 
we currently across the year because we're now coming to the end of year one we we have an 11.4 percent engagement yeah, rate crazy. and i think that's something that honestly even from our side we've never seen before mm. um, as much as i'd love to say that we get that on all of our projects we do not um and i think um those kind of metrics again could not showcase the benefit of not only starting a new account um in a very like simple sense but dedicating that content to the community um and making sure that they are keen to support and grow because at the end of the day we are a brand we are we are corporate uh, you know we are a global brand um that gets a lot of stick you know um a lot of the time so mm. if we can if we can remedy that through our gaming you know our gaming channels which is the idea um then i think yeah i think everyone wins so can can you give the people listening because uh, because a lot of our viewers are from California, um, from Australia, and, and we do have an audience in London starting to come up a little bit more as well. Can you give a little bit of uh, information to the listening audience about esports market in the UK, how it's performing, and what do you compare yourselves to? Do you compare yourself to the US market? Are you a bit of your own? Uh, is it a combination of others? Go for it. Yep. Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, t- to me, as much as I love the UK market, um, you know, it's it's a fair amount behind. Of course, Asia, of course, you know, the US um, and probably Canada. For the, uh, I think we're probably pretty close to Canada. Mm. Um, however, you know, France and Germany, their, their esports scenes are far more mature than ours here. And to be perfectly honest, that's why um, we are scaling our New York office. So um, we've had a New York office for a while now, but we've had, we recently landed quite a big account uh, in the US. Because I mean, we, I think even prior to the office opening, I think sixty percent of our business was US anyway, mm. um, just the nature of the, the size of the market. And we are now, you know, drastically scaling what our resource looks like in the US, so we can so we can run projects from there um, that are North America based because of you know the lack of size in the UK. Um, I will always love it. I think our headquarters will always be here, but it you know the budgets and the interest in the US are. Dwarf that of the likes of of the, of the similar here. So, for, for me, um, we're in a good spot. I think like the infrastructure is solid. There's, we're definitely getting there. Um, I think there's there's just not enough investment and budget right now in the UK. And that's not just from my perspective. That's you know on a on a granular esport level as far as like grassroots tournaments, the likes of um, like Face It and things like that. Like yes, they're scaling and yes, they have a decent presence in the UK, but it's not close enough. It's not close to the point where it's going to get a lot of investment from brands. I don't think it's that attractive of a proposition right now because the reach just isn't there. Mm. Whereas they can go to the US and for the same money or, 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 or more money get a significant reach, right? Um, so yeah, UK space, love it, um, but not. I think it's you know it's maybe top five in the world. Um, we do have obviously the brands here. You know, we are a, we are a tier one economy as much as maybe Brexit may tell us otherwise. Um, you know, so um, we we're in a good position. I just the the growth is going to be a lot slower than it is in the rest of the world. And what's the what's the government perception around esports? It's actually, I guess, it's like it's it's changing, um, which is strange to see. Uh, but there's been a couple of conversations with members of, members of parliament about you know how esports is positioned and the mm-hmm. the regulations around it, but. Honestly, to be honest, they have not paid much attention to it just yet. And I think that's kind of a nod to my earlier point, which is it's not that big of a deal in the UK. I think in France, in Germany, in Spain, it's a far bigger deal and far more relevant to the you know, likes of government, but also to brands as a marketing strategy, as, as something to put money into. We're still finding that we're having to educate a lot. Whereas we'll go to let's say the US, for example, and they're like, yeah, no, we're, we're getting into esports and we just have to work out what that looks like. Um, whereas in the UK, we're kind of like, no, no, you want to, you, you should put your marketing budget into esports because you're going to get this out of it, if that makes sense. Mm. And I guess adding on to that as well, you know, we're, we're discussing a lot with local government here and, and there's already quite a lot of support uh, with Visit Victoria's supporting um, things like the Melbourne Esports Open here, which is across a couple of different stadiums and, you know, a multiple game event. And, you know, I've been involved with um, the Australian Open Tennis here and they ran a $500,000 Fortnite tournament and have been supportive of some upcoming projects that we have coming up. But th- yep. I'd be interested in learning from you where you see the upside within three different categories. So so number one is, you know, government government involvement that would be looking at tourism coming into the space. Number two, that would be looking at export 
Um, so you know, exporting knowledge and you know whether it's whether it's IP goods or any other way of getting money from outside of of England in. Um, and number three would be bringing companies from overseas to you know establish offices in your local um, region. You know, which of those three do you think are, are most important or most probable? I think, yeah, most probable, definitely the first one for me. I think it can really affect tourism. Um, I think I know, I know that it's kind of very similar to the model that Saudi Arabia, like Dubai, I'm mm. um, sorry, not Saudi Arabia, um, UAE and Dubai are um, looking into, which is heavily investing into um, what is gaming. You know, the insomnia events out there very soon that we're we're doing some projects on, but also um, with the Anthony Joshua uh, boxing fight, you know, that's coming up very soon. They've invested significant money into making it a destination for sporting events. And in this case, gaming and esports events. And I think um, they see the potential in having it as the hub, right? Or the destination. I think there's still a kind of a gap in the market for where is the global, the global esports hub. Um, and I'm not sure that'll ever be decided. I think LA is a very good shout for that. I think Vegas is investing a lot of money again on their side into, into that, both obviously on the West coast, um, for us, you know, we see we see this every day where people are spending significant money just to bring events to their 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 country, right? Um, and I think in that sense, there's definitely a lot of potential because, you know, if you're having uh, a sport, a country where you know you're, you're going to be exposed to the best the best players or you know the best tournaments, then I think I think I, can, I think they can see an uptick in pickup. I think export's going to be tough. Uh, it's, that's an extremely long term play, like in my book, and I think. Businesses coming over. I think, like, I don't think it's a secret that you know people and and we. I'm I'm over in LA very soon to sign off on an office. So I guess we're part of that. As far as like, if it you need to be where it's where esports is. And I think for us, from a publisher and brand perspective, and even an organization perspective, that's LA. Mm. Um, so we will be there. And I think that is a massive nod to the fact. And I know others have gone over with with very similar sentiments, which is we have to be there. That's where the conversation's happening. And if they do it or another country can do it then i think there's a lot of potential for businesses to come over and invest in the economy from that side yeah i think that's yeah i think that's pretty well said and you know you got to go where the publishers are and where the business is is there is there a fight in england in in certain cities to kind of be labeled as the home of esports or is, is london just the unprecedented king um so yeah um to be honest london definitely is however there's actually like parts of london that are currently fighting for um, to be the place to be uh, for, for esports. So uh, a place called Stratford, which is in East London, mm-hmm. has a couple of um, very, very modern bills that we used for the Olympics when we had it and they've now been converted into offices, like really cool spaces that I think they're um, trying to make. It's also where the Copper Box is, where CW, CW or London was, mm-hmm. um, and a couple of other uh, esports events uh, over the last few years. And I think like they're definitely fighting to become the hub uh, of esports, certainly in this country. And then I guess... Maybe Europe as well. Um, from my side, they, they they've made the biggest play. I think like cent- central London's obviously tough just because of the prices, but there's also esports bars and things like that popping up all the time around like where we are, like Shoreditch area. And I think um, there will be an active move to kind of make it the des- destination to go. I think at the moment um, Stratford's let's say winning, but it's not a huge play. You know, it's more than just talking about it and saying they are rather than actually investing in the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty well said. And I guess we we can't go through a whole podcast here at the Big Esports Podcast without talking about LinkedIn <laughs> at least once. So well, I'd, I'd yeah. love to learn for you, you know, is, is LinkedIn something important to you in your business and, you know, how do you utilize it? Definitely. I think LinkedIn was something that I think we had always kind of, we had always u- used, but I wouldn't say we utilized it um, properly. And so we've made an active, an active move, um, both myself um, and the sales team to kind of, really double down on, on LinkedIn, whether it be content, whether it be engagement, interaction, whatever it is, because I think it's something that we hadn't taken the proper advantage of mm-hmm. up until this point. Um, so I think from our side, both from an agency perspective, but also me personally, um, producing more content. Um, just Because I think our biggest failure, um, if it were from a, from a business perspective, is externally people don't realize... And I don't want this to sound um, at all egotistical, but people don't realize how like big we are or like the clients we work with, mm. and that's an image issue. And we that will never improve unless we start talking about what we do and the clients we work with. Right? We work with some of the biggest game publishers in the world on their entire strategy, and yet no one knows. And I think for me, LinkedIn is a great way 
to get that message out there. Um, and I think like the organic, obviously the organic growth that currently, um, and the shareability uh, of LinkedIn content that's currently out there is second to none. You know, the, the, the organic pickup is ridiculous through hashtags, you know, through, through sharing. Mm. It's again, it's, it's leading. And so we'd be sitting on to take advantage of that. I know it's something that obviously, you know, you see massive potential. And I guess if, from your side, do you think like you can attribute LinkedIn to, some of the, some of like the successes of the business. Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I remember making a post in the past that you know LinkedIn was responsible for my investment for my first ever client of over four thousand dollars, and for three of my biggest clients to date. So that alone, okay. you know, goes to show yeah. you know the power of it, and I, I think that goes to show that maybe you and I should do a LinkedIn live session together <laughs> sometime soon. Yeah, and yeah, definitely, and, honestly, yeah, it's, it's a no brainer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I see that I see it like massively, um, and I think. It's, a, it's an absolutely unique platform right now that where you do have what is close to or, or is direct access to the people that you want to be talking to, which mm. is rare to find on social. Um, whereas, you know, like, I think like Twitter growth, especially in the gaming community, you know, has, has benefits. And, uh, you know, I obviously, of course, want to have a presence on the, that platform. But um, from, a, from a growth perspective, LinkedIn, again, yeah, amazing. Uh, and it's something that hopefully down the road, um, you'll see us like double down on our content. You know, we've already started to step up our content game. We have the capacity in house, and it's kind of frustrating that we haven't taken advantage of it right now. But you know, I have a production team. We have the the, the equipment, and we weren't really putting out content that um, was good enough. And now there's an active movement as we are from an agency, from you know, roundup perspectives, just to give an idea about an insight into what we think about on a daily basis, and then also you know, some funnier content, things like that, just to, just to give ourselves an image, you know, just to let people know that we're not a super corporate outfit, but we also do get this space better than, than most. Yeah, and expanding on like what you were saying before about talking about what you're doing, there was a common thing in the esports industry in Australia for a while where people were saying, hey, I don't post about what I'm doing because I'm busy doing it. But I think it's an excuse, a massive excuse and a cop out for people to say that because it doesn't, it honestly doesn't take me a lot of time to do what I do. The only thing is it takes the discipline not to check your notifications all the time. And it sounds like a first world problem because when you start you know, getting kind of bigger on LinkedIn, like like I've been lucky enough to do and, you know, getting up to 100 to even 200 likes per post, which is fantastic. But you get stuck into that general social media trap of, oh, crap, you know, there's a message, I better check that. Or there's, an, there's a notification, yeah. you better check that. And that's a, you know, it's a personal management thing more than anything else. But most of my posts, they don't take me very long to do whatsoever. Sometimes it's a bit of selfie Gary V style content where I talk about something. Takes me, you know, yep. two minutes to record that. I don't edit it at all. I chuck it up on all the channels, you know, sometimes TikTok included. So there's too many channels these days. But, um, yep. you know, yep. it doesn't take too long. And then you just spend a bit of time, you know, take an hour a day to reply to messages and to read some quick comments and such and, you know, build those meaningful connections. I think the main thing really is that, you know, with this and, and, um, you know, I've discussed this in uh, the the podcast that's coming out before this one, and and some other podcasts too, with like Matt Gunnan from Esports One, who's probably the most you know famous person on LinkedIn for yeah. esports. Is you know how do you pick who to reply to? And you know, once again, you know, a personal time management issue. But unfortunately, you can't take that coffee meeting with everyone because a you'll have way too much caffeine, but but b you yeah. won't get any work done. But you know, with it brings different types of problems, I guess. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think you know. I, you mentioned at the start about you know people that kind of had that opinion um you know they're working too hard that that was me like well, without doubt i think i was just like Look, i'm i'm doing it i don't need to tell people about it and in reality as i said now that's negatively impacted our external image in my opinion i think that um all that hard work yeah of course you know i, I, want, I want i still want to have those accounts and clients but mm. um i think you missed the boat on, on really getting the word out there and talking about what we do and i think you know you wouldn't i don't think you would have known about us in a dating simulator right unless i talked about it on linkedin uh, and i think things like that are vitally important to, to the growth an image of the overall company. Yeah, exactly right. And and if nothing else, it's a it's a massive lead generator for us. So it is creating new yeah. business by sharing these things. So yeah, it's definitely an important part. Mate, I think we've had a fantastic discussion today. It's really good to learn from someone such as yourself who's, you know, done so much in agency land for esports that understands your fit and, and seems to be growing quite well and sustainably. Where can people follow you online to learn more about what you're doing and see your upcoming social posts? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Drew Townley on LinkedIn, definitely, like I said, content game is, is stepping up. So hopefully there's some, some cool stuff to watch there. Uh, and then my Twitter is DG Townley. Um, I think that's th- those two, are honestly, all I spend my life on. So they, those two probably tick it off. Um, if you want to check us out on the website, 
powerofesports.com gives you a breakdown on what we do, some of the case studies and clients we work with. Um, but yeah, and if you need anything else, anyone out there, then feel free to reach out. Yeah, fantastic, mate. And you know, besides an expansion into LA and, and further into New York, what's coming up next for you? I think those are the next things. Um, we're definitely we're looking at Singapore as well, um, very very closely. I think the Asian market is something that in esports is maybe we're going to struggle in, but definitely the influence of marketing space is something they're not doing amazingly well. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think with those three locations, um, LA for me is a big focus. New York's not so esports heavy; um, it's very agency heavy. So those conversations are great, but but LA I think for, for me personally is where we need to be. Um, and we've got a couple of projects. Uh, on the go that unfortunately I, I can't talk about, but um, one significantly sized that's kind of a, a, a year to year, and then a couple of smaller campaigns with some some clients we worked with in the past, some new clients that hopefully um, should be super exciting. And you know we're all in the same game, right? We're trying to trying to build this space up to the point that it rivals traditional sport, and I want to be part of that. Fantastic! Thanks so much for joining us today, mate. Amazing, Chris. Appreciate it. No appreciate problem. your time. And thank you for listening into the Big Esports podcast. Uh, thanks once again for listening. You can check all of the show notes at bigesports.gg forward slash five four to see Drew's lovely face, anything else that he's been working on recently, links to him and the topics that we have discussed today. As mentioned previously, we'll have a senior member of FaZe coming on soon, and we also release on our socials the next seven or so guests we've got coming up. And um, yeah, once again, thanks to LinkedIn. We've got some absolute massive powerhouse guests, so I can't wait to share them with you. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg.